0: In a 2016 article accounting for a hitchhike around the time of the 2016 Australian election, Daniel Litch writes this, did meet a handful of drivers who were engaged with the political process. Knew who they were voting for and why. It's just that these people were in the minority. Car after car, ride after ride, the more common the driver was, I just draw a dick on the ballot, get my name ticked off so I don't get fined. Donkey vote, not enrolled, who cares kind of voter. One sliver of hope, Every driver who had become a citizen in the last decade was engaged in the issues, had read up on the policy, had put thought into their vote, and was genuinely excited to participate in our electoral process. But throughout my journey, there is immense dissatisfaction with the major parties. Most of the drivers who picked me up have had enough of them, or just don't care enough for them. Judging from my tiny data set, will this mean that the minor parties and in independents will once again rise from the ashes, proving the entire point of the double dissolution null and void? Perhaps. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. I'm so blessed that as part of this project, I decided to get some of Australia's most hilarious satirists to join me on this journey because this film is a nexus of journalism and of politics and, of course, if I didn't have great satirists on this show, it would just be all for naught. It would be a waste of time. And so for this, the 10th minute, I've now got another person um, from the new <laughs> Amazon series. Um, uh, is it Ride Act? I've got that right?
1: Yeah, um, Ride Act.
0: I've got the producer, yeah. writer, um, the host of Irrational Fear, the Hungry Beast alum, formerly of Tonightly, which is a deeply underrated and freaking awesome show and just a most hilarious man. And basically the best thing that I think he's ever done is a great uh, video he did with his mum. And if you go into his Twitter, <laughs> you can find it. And I think I watched it a hundred times. It was like one of the sweetest <laughs> things I'd ever seen. And uh, and as, despite all of his hilarity, this is just oh, beautiful beautiful video with his mom that just like broke my heart in all the best kind of ways. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Dan Illich to All the President's Minutes. Mate, welcome.
1: Oh, it's it's nice to be with you, Blake. Thank you so much. It's a thrill to uh, have once again watched All the President's Men one more time to join you for this podcast <laughs> in preparation today.
0: I'm ready to go. Excellent. Excellent. Well, look, we are, we're at the 10th minute and we're at a kind of, I don't know, I want to say aqua-suited Gucci tie-wearing Markham Nicholas Costa is the frozen frame and a beautiful, uh, just, I don't know, it's like the most beautiful, intentionally or unintentionally messy-haired Robert Redford wearing corduroy jacket. We both need to, I mean, if podcasting was as well-dressed as this movie, I think it would just change the entire medium. (laughs) Um, So, uh, look, mate, you know, you're, you've got your own great podcast irrational fear you've you're on FBI radio you clearly yeah I think I think your self your self-proclamation is part journalist part comedian investigative humorist um, and so I, I just had to say like how long has this movie been in your life
1: uh, probably for about 10 15 years I remember seeing it a long time ago but it's one of those movies that I occasionally re Uh, The last time I saw it would have been maybe five years ago. And then before that, I think I saw it in 2010 in Los Angeles at a screening in a cinema uh, at the Egyptian cinema in Hollywood that was presented by Aaron Sorkin. And Aaron Sorkin was just bringing out, um, I think, Newsroom at the time. Uh, and so I remember, I remember seeing with with a friend of mine from uni, and we just sat there watching Aaron Sorkin kind of present this film, and then it was so awesome to kind of watch it. And what's been what's interesting is that I've spent a, a bit of time over the last few years in America, and I've been to the RNC and I've, I've uh, and, and the DNC and kind of operated in um, the media politic world in the United States um, from 2015 till a couple of years ago. So it was one of those things where, on rewatch now, so much more makes sense because when you're from a foreign country, there's a lot of dense kind of political um, uh, uh, political kind of uh, references you kind of don't understand. And then, uh, as I was watching, I was rewatching all the Presidents Men. For this podcast, I spent a bit of time on my phone Googling yeah. what, what that was.
0: That's the only thing the second screen is worthwhile for, right? Yeah. It's like when you're watching something particularly dense or anything that's like, you know, a drama or something like that, you're like, no fucking way that happened. And you're like, you're watching it on your telly and you're like frantically Googling and it happens all the time. The like analytics yeah. go crazy, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I'm probably going to be served the Blu-ray of this video <laughs> of this, uh, of this uh, movie for the next week because I've looked it up so much. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like, and so you think, oh, this is too crazy to be true, but in fact, the minute that we're about to watch, like, this character Markham is made up. Would you believe it's yes. based on a, it's based on another lawyer called Douglas Caddy, who was probably. I don't know just maybe too confusing for sort the of narrative for this particular film but that, that's kind of interesting so as i was googling oh who's markham who is this you know it's like oh hang on it's, this character's completely made up but based on a lawyer
0: and the descriptions of mark and, uh, markham or caddy at the time younger a little bit more strapping but nonetheless I love that there was a fastidious, no, he's still going to look completely out of place. He's still going to wear this, you know, really loud suit on, a, on, a, on an early morning. Um, and he's just going to be this out of place guy in existence who really was there and inspired this character into existence. And it was kind of like a bit more of a synthesis of like, He's going to impart some information, he's going to make some awkward things before we get to our, in an upcoming minute, our holy shit moment. Uh, um, He's going to sort of impart some information and sort of start Woodward going, this is wrong. Um, Because in the novel, The President's uh, man, Woodward talks about going to that gallery of lawyers you know, these sort of overrate guys and he describes them very floridly and what they look like and a couple of the guys with their horn-rimmed glasses and they can't wait to be assigned to something and they're kind of the worst of the worst. There's some of these guys in the gallery that are just waiting around um, and he really starts to sniff out that there's a bit of a problem when they're, they're all sort of nattering and being pissed off that there was a lawyer there waiting for these five guys and they're like, oh, sweet, this is a job for us today. I oh, know no, we're all just stuck out here today on a Saturday morning doing nothing.
1: Yeah, because lawyers in the system there are kind of like tow truck drivers. They kind of get assigned <laughs> to accidents as yes. they come through. Yes. So it's not, uh, so, but because Hunt had had a previous relationship um, with uh, caddy, yes. Douglas Caddy, he just called him up and said, "Can you come over to my house and and sort this shit out?" It's it's pretty pretty wild what what we've been up to. Yes, <laughs> and Douglas Caddy was of the like minded. He was a Republican. He's a conservative. He kind of came up through Creep, which is the uh, the, the re-election campaign for, for Nixon. And um, so they all kind of knew each other from that. Though Caddy himself didn't have. The experience to handle yeah. <laughs> this criminal this criminal investigation, so he was in no way able to um, defend these guys. But he connected them up with a real lawyer, which is what we see.
0: Well, we're going to go to this moment um, because, as Markham Caddy Nicholas Costa will tell us in this minute, he's not representing them. He has nothing to do with this. <laughs> he's not doing anything. He has no w- well of information. Um, he's, he's no one to ask questions of, uh, but he says so much in his lovely, beautiful suit. So Dan and I are going to watch the minute together. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk all about it. Mr. Markham, are you here in connection with the Watergate Mercury? I'm not here. Well, clearly I
1: am here, but only as an individual, not as the attorney of record. Who is? Mr. Starkey. Do
0: you have any... Whatever
1: you want, you'll have to get from him. I have nothing more to say. Uh,
0: it's
1: Starkey, S-T...
0: Mr. Starkey was very helpful, four Cuban-Americans and another man, James W. McCord. I told you inside, I have nothing more to say. I understand that. What I don't understand is how you got here. So
1: many questions, like so many questions.
0: I'm not here. I just love I'm not here. And I love, and I, you would know this better than anyone. Um, I, I said another anecdote on another show that I did where I was. I'm working for a, a big corporate, uh, a corporation in Australia, and I was doing an emergency management course, which is like you know they do for fire wardens and stuff like that. And one of the per- people in the the class was asking the guy who was sort of training a bunch of us who were all being accredited as fire wardens, going, "Why do you insist on us carrying around a clipboard?". And and he just said a clipboard's the most powerful thing you can have as a figure <laughs> of authority, and and then sort of asked why. What you dig into that why? What do you, what do you mean? And he's like, when you are trying to, you know, probably boss around someone who hierarchically is higher than you in the company, for an in an emergency situation, a really effective way to do that is. You ask them very nicely to do what they need to do and you instruct them what they need to do is in the best interest of their safety. And if they don't listen to you, you just start manically taking notes. And very quickly, the behavior of you just taking notes of what their response is will make them more compliant. And, oh my God. And, and it's, it's like sometimes when people argue, you just, you just go, oh yeah, because I've got my own notepad as we're doing this. And I'm just showing Dan as we're Skyping. I'm like, oh yeah, and just start. Just start taking notes of what that person's saying. And every time I watch this scene, Dan, I love it because I'm like, the minute he goes, oh, okay. It stops being a conversation. There's something that stops it from being a conversation. It's like, I'm not here. That's really weird. I'm going to write it down. And the minute he does that, you see Markham backpedal. It's the most beautiful backpedal reeling in. Oh, well, of course you can see I'm here, but I'm not here in a capacity, But it's And I just love that it's just the pen hitting a bit of paper, and someone is spilling their guts. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, this is a this is like the first of many of those occasions in this film. It happens about six times where people say something then they instantly regret saying <laughs> it, and then they try to uh, disavow everything that they've already said. Yeah. Um, but by then, it's far too late, and it's, late. it's all on the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You, like what I'm about to do on this podcast, and I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to ask you to delete something later on. In fact, delete that. Cut that bit
0: out. Cut, no, cut, sorry. cut that bit. No, no. Leave, leave, leave that bit. Leave that bit. <laughs> Let me take
1: notes about you. Not You, you said you were going to cut that out. I'm going to write these notes down. Um, but it's, um, That's how you're going to make yeah. me
0: compliant. As soon as you put pen to paper, look, I said, it's a, you know we're at 16 minutes here. If you don't take that out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, it's a beautiful scene because it's almost like a bit of a red herring but it's the very first hurdle in this after the inciting incident that he's got to kind of work out. You know, he's got to figure out what's going on after this. This is the very first hurdle he's going to jump. And it's all about getting to the truth and getting to the core things. You know, in journalism, we get taught you have to ask why five times until you can get to the core of a story. Um, And so this is like the first... Why, if you like. It's yeah. like, hang on, why, why why did you why why did were you, you side to these guys straight away? How come the how come the Justice Department lawyers didn't get a get a phone? Like where where the hell did you come from? Like where did you come from? Like who's paying you to be here? Um so yeah, this is a great a great part. A it, great minute.
0: It is a great minute. There's there are many great minutes in this movie, um but I think that I think it's really I like what you said there it's like that that natural interrogation of like finding a root cause why 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 and and even on the outside in the in the book they have to do it a little bit more you know he's out there and people are angry but for the purposes of the movie for the speed of it they want you to have this red herring moment but it's funny that it's this is sometimes all it takes Dan I think you would have seen this in your own career like how could you know right now with just maybe what is both kind of coincidence or just a bit a bit squirrely someone having representation when they shouldn't is going to lead to an impeachment of a president like there's no way that you can know that there's no, there's no way, way there's no way in hell. And I just love sometimes to go back in moments of this to sort of see what their destination is, but to see the great craft of how it's telling how these guys work. It's like in this moment that's not it, but it's that impulse to keep going. There is something there continues to be something wrong with this picture right now.
1: Yeah. And that, we're just gonna that, that smells funny. Why does that smell funny? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. It's really, really interesting. Douglas Caddy's an interesting character. He's um uh of the, the real life douglas caddy um he's a, a part of a couple of groups including uh, a group called citizens against political assassinations <laughs> and um he he was sorry i should put my
0: jaw he, off, off the floor
1: i know i know pretty pretty amazing he interviewed hunt um uh when he was talking about well we according to hunt anyway um when he actually asked Hunt why he thought jfk was assassinated and um and apparently, uh, Hunt told Caddy that JFK was assassinated because he was about he was about to disclose the alien
0: presence to the Soviet Union. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so that that's that, I knew that, that I knew that conspiracy theories were going to be a part of this show, and I yeah. think that, but I didn't know that aliens were going to be part of it. So thank you.
1: So, so, so like, that's an interesting like that's a t-b- like, that's the quality of person that Hunt was to be able to do. <laughs> like these are useful to go and uh break into the dnc but it also shows you kind of uh how caddy really didn't want a part of this you know like this is yes. clearly clearly like caddy knows hunt well enough to go well i shouldn't actually be touching these people with a 10-foot pole no. <laughs> but, oh, I, but they're my mates i'll just hang out Yeah, I'll just hang out and see how they
0: go. I'll be here for solidarity. But like, you know, there's two kinds of mates in in, even in the scenes that we're watching at this minute. There's the guy I've met in a number of minutes now who I love. It's this sort of very casual, like African American guy wearing a wearing a like black turtleneck like sitting back relaxing he's probably busting out one of his mates who's been like done for drinking and you know making a fool out of himself or something like that and he's so relaxed but markham is and markham slash caddy this like caddy amalgam he's there and he's so like he's so out of place even in his posture in the thing that that here it's like there is a problem there's something weird and and that solidarity is like only to a point. It's like, all right, see you later. Here's Mr. Saki. I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm doing this thing.
1: Yeah, I'm off to the water fountain. I'm going to get a drink of water. So, uh, I don't need to do this. It, it, it's, it is really interesting. I feel like the whole film, and this is a really good example of it, particularly in the sound design, the whole film is delightfully understated when it comes to um, shot choices, sound design, performances the camera is often very still and it allows the performances to just play within the frame and even though we hear the judge and we hear the five people that um, were caught with a cause of Watergate happening behind us and behind the camera we don't actually hear it well enough to actually be able to tune in and we and it's, and it's just it just the director allows the um, ambiance of that room to echo. And that probably wouldn't happen in a film, in yeah. films today. You don't, you don't see this kind of naturalistic style, um, portrayed because it's also dense. Like, if you want to compare it to like another journalism hero film, like Spotlight, for instance, Spotlight's probably the modern day version of All Presence of Men. That film was quite dramatic and it had, um, much more. Mm, so much, so much more in terms of music and sound design, and, and um, a, a bit more movement in the camera. Uh, it has a bit more cinema, modern day cinema, modern day cinema techniques to it than than this. This is a very um, restrained direction, and it allows it allows the performances and it allows the story to unravel cleanly in front of you because it doesn't need anything more than what it, what the story is.
0: I think your, uh, your great collaborator, Mark Humphries, was on the show. And I don't know if it was you he was talking about giving him a bit of advice or if it was one of your other collaborators at like one of the live shows he was doing or Hungry Beast or something like that. And he was talking about when we were on the show together, we were talking about like leaning in. There's that thing that sometimes great comics do when they're on stage where they the pauses are the things that make jokes. And Mark was talking about he was – Delivering this line, it what it, he thought of it as like one of the killer lines of like basically the entire show. It was falling flat every time he delivered it. And he got the advice that, hey, just pause before you hit the punchline. And the more agonizingly long you can make that pause, the better the punchline is going to be. And he said when he did that, that's when it hits. And I think that there's so much about this whole movie that – is constantly reinforcing that please lean in like please lean into what we're telling you like we're not gonna we're not just gonna give it to you because that's what not the experience of these guys but please lean in and what show i mentioned at the beginning uh dan's uh, partner in crime mark Humphreys, and he have created a really great show called riot act it is set uh, stars the great Tony Martin, um, amongst uh, others with uh, Gretel Killeen, Fletcher Kennedy, Gretel Killeen, who just went viral for trying to make sense of commentary in Australia about bushfires, <laughs> absolutely incredibly. Um, but it's, it's you know, for audiophiles out there, it's set, you know, it's a radio, it's a, a radio host in a radio studio and program and the machinations of that studio. And so for audiophiles, when you're listening, you can hear the, Tinkerings of that studio. You can hear what's happening. You can hear throwaway jokes. You can hear those things And so I would imagine you Dan, in this scene. You're like You love the fact that they're just the focus is their conversation and nothing else is overplayed There's no there's not even the Robert Altman like People talking it's people are quiet. It's a courtroom where everyone's having to lean in the judge is the most important character in that in that moment
1: yeah, uh well, I, 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 I don't even I don't yeah I don't even think the ju- I don't I don't even think the judge is the most important character at the moment. I think, um, I think Woodward's Woodward's tenacity, Woodward's Woodward's, you know, Woodward's doing something interesting in this scene where he's not paying attention to what's happening in the room. He's paying attention to everything around it. So he's getting into Starkey. He's getting into Markham. He's trying to find. He's is looking away from the from the the main game, and I think that's that's really interesting. Like, I, I feel like if you're if you're a journalist, you'd want to see what's happening in the in the Watergate case. You want to see, you know, what's going on. You see what the judges you want to see what the what the criminals say. But no, not 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 Woodward. Woodward's going sideways. Uh, he's he's zigging when everyone's else is zagging. Like <laughs> that's really cool.
0: It is indeed. That's really cool.
1: But uh, you know when you, when it. You, when we're talking about the silences, this movie has a lot of silences yes. and a lot of the good stuff is happening on screen. It's happening in the characters' faces and you have to pay attention to who's who and what's what. And, and that's, what's great about it. When there's silence, you do have to, you, you kind of, uh, listening intently with your eyes. And that's, um, that's one of the joys of this film, I think.
0: So you as a journo now, Especially having worked over in the United States and you're around, what's the impact of this movie? Does it still have any resonance? Because obviously, the 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 Watergate and the Gate suffix is like come back around in the last four years, very particularly um, with the entire Trump presidency. But like, I just um, wish
1: uh, Bill Gates would get into a scandal so we can have Gates gate. <laughs> Gates Gates um, Gates Bill Gates, Gates 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 Yeah, yeah, and it'd be good if few scandals about the way he walked that way. You could have uh,
0: a <laughs> Gates 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 Gates
1: Gate, gate, gate. Gate, gate.
0: But, gate, 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 but does gate. it but is it still does it still resonate? Like you know, you've been there, you've been to the DNC, you've been to the RNC. Like, does is does the does the? I'm, shadow sure
1: of- I'm sure Republicans in 2020 are still annoyed that Nixon got found out for Watergate. That you know that Holder <laughs> got found out for Watergate. That it went all the way to the top. I'm sure there. I'm sure there's still uh reeling from this like it, it, politics in america is so partisan that the hollywood elite is this film yeah you know, this is an attack on their own personal beliefs <laughs> like they don't they don't think anything's wrong with what happened at watergate you know this is just politics this is just this is the game that people are playing so that's kind of interesting i and i also think that right now with trump um this movie is as relevant as ever and it's um it's fascinating to kind of see people draw parallels to trump and nixon and so while i feel like trump is a much more benign character than nixon um only only through trump being a lot more childlike and um not a proper adult um so (laughs) i feel like I feel like Trump is getting himself into trouble all the time yes. or getting skirting around laws, like wandering, wandering aimlessly through this legal minefield every day of his career because he's got no fucking idea what he's doing <laughs> and has no. And, no and, and
0: also at least Nixon could, if we just do a direct comparison, I've said this a couple of times on the show, but it's the thing that just continues to flabbergast me. And then once we move past that, I think, you know, we, well, I'll stop talking about it, but it's, If you look at the Mueller findings, so many times in those Mueller findings, there are actual public servants who receive direct orders from Trump or Trump, like Trump basically messengers that told them directly to do illegal things. And those public servants went, yeah, yeah. And then when that person walked away or a Trump, they went, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm going to just massage that into something that's rational and sane and didn't do it whereas i think what is so much more manipulative perhaps and maybe like a bit more menacing about nixon's entire ethos and era is that like nixon had people soldiers who did everything like who did this litany of illegal shit who were doing black ops on black ops on black ops and like running cia stuff and non-cia and had like slush funds of money to to do this stuff and they were just doing it and it got it, it eventually there was like this whole army around him and then it got down to the – that's when it hits the public servants here and it had been spun in such a way that it takes a time but there's all these public servants again that emerge that start to be compelled to tell the truth. So it's this one direct comparison where you're so spot on. It's like he's a child, he says something and you kind of go, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then there's yeah. And Nixon is like, yes, sir, yes, I will.
1: This might sound weird. I still believe in America. I still believe America <laughs> can be – really I good i do too and i still believe in the deep state i feel like the deep state is keeping us safe uh and i feel like the public servants in america are just kind of biding their time until they can um get back to work and do the job that they need to do rather than undo environmental protections uh, unlock land <laughs> and uh get congressional approval for killing iranian generals uh so like it's I, I still believe that America can be really good, um, and I. And you I, would have I, experienced
0: that in 2010 with Aaron Sorkin introducing all the that's presidents. Right, that's,
1: men. That, that, that's right. It was a, it was a different. It was a different vibe back then. Barack Obama was, pre- was still <laughs> president back then. Incidentally, I met Barack Obama last uh, last month, and that was a real thrill for me. I've got to shake his hand.
0: Yeah, but, I saw the photos.
1: Are you saw the photos. I yeah, saw the yeah, photos. That's true. that's true. I'm still. I'm still. I still have a post Obama my <laughs> clothes. <Khloe>. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Though it could be the food from Kuala Lumpur, <laughs> so it's hard to tell. Um, but it's one of those things where uh, this movie, this movie is a bit of journalist porn. It's, it, it kind of makes out that our jobs are more important than than they are um, in Australia. Um, it is so hard to do this kind of journalism mm. um, in Australia. Defamation laws security risk, security laws, um, anti-terrorism laws would prevent a lot of this stuff from coming out. And it, it could even possibly be that Woodward and Bernstein could go to jail for the stuff that they revealed um, because it's not in the national interest. So it's, you know, it, it's one of those things like in Australia, we have many, many great journalists who would really love to run at football at our government. But there are, Plenty of laws that stop them from doing that. Uh, as we've seen with the AFP raids over the last year, you know, let's not Can, let's can not you this.
0: Can you qualify that, Dan, for our international listeners when you talk about the AFP raids and, and the significance? Because I would love to hear it from you, a journalist, because I think one of the things in this show, you know, I said, it's the nexus between movies and history and politics and journalism. And one of the things that I think this movie does is un- It takes the curtain away from a lot of political fuckery, not to put too fine a point on it. And in Australia, there's some political fuckery in the opposite, which is, you know, in the very great Rupert Murdoch influenced libel law structures of Australia that stops people from doing this. And even as far as the AFP rates, could you just explain that um well, the a. AC rate,
1: Well, the, the the Australian Federal Police raids of last year were pretty interesting. Twenty nineteen, um, the AFP raided several media outlets, including the home of uh, a Rupert Murdoch paper editor, um, as well as ABC journalists and Channel Nine journalists and and um, and Nine radio presenter Ben Fordham. So, um, this is. Uh, It's really astounding because they were raiding these people based on stories that were done in 2018 or 2015, so some years after. Um, And the stories were done in 2018, and those stories were done about things that happened in Afghanistan many years before. So, this is about Australians, um, potential war crimes by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan, and these are the stories that. Were being produced, and when these stories broke, um, there were no repercussions at the time. Mm. Um, But then laws changed over the last year, which meant that if a story was a security problem for the Australian government, then they could go and um, uh, raid the journalist's houses. So it's it's had a really big chilling effect on journalism in Australia. And there's other there's other laws that are uh, on the books currently to this day. Um, particularly around whistleblowing, which on one hand protect whistleblowers, but on the other hand, whistleblowers who blow the whistle on government organisations, that is a a jailable offence. So if you're a a whistleblower for a corporation, you are protected, but if you're a whistleblower on the government, like um, our good friend Richard, who used to work at the Australian Tax Office, who discovered a huge tax fraud happening at the very top of the Australian Tax Office? Yes, um, he's he's got he's got like sixty years in jail on the books, like coming up for him uh, if he doesn't win this appeal that, that's coming up. So, um, there's quite an extreme, like, and there's other laws. There's other laws. If you're a doctor in a detention centre on Nauru, uh, for international listeners, Australia has. Has a few island detention centres um, that are based in Pacific Islands where uh, migrants are locked up for the, when they try to come to Australia and, and seek a better life. Um, if you're a doctor in on one of those detention centres uh, and you report about what the work that you're doing or what is happening to the media, you can go to jail. If you are a journalist at, at some point in time, a few years back, if you were a journalist and you reported on those migrant boats arriving to Australian chores, you can go to jail. We, the view of Australia from outside of Australia is that we are a really
0: uh, liberal back, democracy, liberal we're democracy. laid
1: back, relaxed liberal democracy, but we are an uptight bunch of cunts. And <laughs> the sooner the world understands that, the better. Yeah. Uh, Australia was founded as a penal colony, a colony, and and the cops were in charge, and nothing has changed since. The cops still run this nation, and there is no. America was founded on a very different pretext. America is founded uh, as a free nation where people could live freely and think freely. Australia, you are not in Australia. You are not permitted to think freely, <laughs> or, or live freely, or say free things, uh, things in the public square, um, without looking at looking down the barrel of some kind of prosecution. It's it, it's hard. Uh, I I'm really thrilled like as a satirist as a comedian myself I get special laws to do some things um particularly <laughs> around fair dealing yes uh and fair use and things like that so there's a, there's a nice a parody and satire provision that allows me to um use copyrighted material and when I can recreate work <laughs> uh, or make fun of them uh and that has never ever been tried which is fantastic so um, I I kind of I am lucky in, in the kind of work that I do, that I've kind of got a, some kind of law that kind of gives me freedom to have a level of freedom with the work that I create. But for journalists, it's, it's really difficult. You have to be um, not only factual, but you have to think about the threat of um, uh, national security when you do a story. You also have to think, think of the threat, the threat of defamation. When you do a story, defamation is the big is another big chilling one in Australia. The reason why Australia hasn't had a big Me Too moment is because of defamation. So there's a whole bunch of sleazy guys uh, who are at the top, who are at the top of business and politics and media in Australia, who will probably never ever get done, and will probably still be protected um, largely because of defamation laws. Because you can't, you, even if, even though something is true. Um, that person can then sue you for defamation because all you have to do to sue someone for defamation uh, uh, is prove that your, your, your fame has been demoted in some kind of way or you have or you, you, your integrity has been um, demolished by this story, which... In the course of good journalism, should happen. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. That's, um, uh, the bi- the byproduct, the happen. byproduct of Nixon's, the byproduct of finding out that Nixon was the figurehead of a whole bunch of internal governmental espionage and political espionage, means that his integrity and his reputation might be impacted. Would yeah, say and
1: he could he could have sued in Australia. If that happened in Australia, he could have sued um not only the Washington Post for a lot of money, but he could have financially ruined
0: Woodward and Bernstein right. as well. So,
1: so yeah like, and, and,
0: and they'd be in jail.
1: That they, well, yeah, because it was the uh, security. Yeah, exactly, because it was against the national security, and they'll yeah. they'll they they and Deep Throat would be in jail too. Oh yeah, he's his, his whistleblower.
0: Oh no, no, but, oh, no, but poor Mark Felt. He would have been – Mark Felt would have been in his deathbed and he's like, oh, oh his deep throat <laughs> clank. There's a cuff straight on his hand and he's they're wheeling him into a, the hospital of some kind of jail in Australia, some kind of maximum security thing. Is yeah. that ever going to change? That- Is that ever going to change, Dan? Like all of that like stuff just seems so – Exactly, and I think you put it best when you said this country was founded as a penal colony and the cops still run the joint, and I could completely concur with you on that. But is um, it ever, yeah, ever going to change with that sort it's of stuff? I'm, I'm sure, like, the Australian Law Reform Commission is looking carefully at
1: defamation and things like that. So, But these things change uh, over a long period of time. So um, so the ALIC would be looking at laws like that, looking at um, defamation because defamation... Um, but it needs a champion. So I don't know who's championing Um, uh, defamation law change in Australia or reform in Australia but um, someone may be and it's not in the interest of any white men in politics to change defamation law in Australia blank
0: (laughs) there's too many things to hide (laughs) there is a lot there's a lot Shit, you know, we're just there's going to be one of those things you just gave me like a horrific like vision of like Harvey Weinstein making his way over here and then like Rupert Murdoch deciding he wants to retire in Australia and just like this just becoming a haven for all the people who weren't accepted anywhere else because we can't defame them or even just report anything because that's defamation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can I can call some people pedophiles on this podcast if you want, but uh. <laughs> Please.
0: Please, please don't. We need, we don't, we, I mean, we're only at the, we're only at the 10th episode, Dan. We're, oh, okay, we might, right, I, might, right. I mean, there's 138 minutes of this, of this film. And uh, I'm hoping <laughs> to, I'm hoping to knock this out by the time we have. Oh, a no, 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 I'll say, I'll say, Slim Dusty Pedophile. <laughs> I said it, I said it. You can't defame the dead, thankfully. You can Thankfully, thankfully, I learned that from I learned that from the 1978 version of Death on the Nile I watched the other night um, for the first time. So, but this is not the Death on the Nile; it's all the it's all the president's minutes. Um, one of the last things that I want to talk to you about in this, it would be remiss of me not to talk about Aaron Sorkin. You mentioned him at the start of the show that you were at a 2010 screening with him, and that coincides with the Social Network. It looks like so. Um, do you remember any nuggets of wisdom that he had to drop then? Because he's is, he is like a mentee of Bill Goldman, who is the Academy Award-winning screenwriter of All the President's Men.
1: Yeah, I didn't realise this, but um, Goldman actually helped Sorkin became, become a screenwriter, go from playwright to screenwriter. And Sorkin reckons that um, if he could do it all again, all again, Goldman wouldn't actually make All the President's Men. <laughs> He He said he's a professional curmudgeon and uh, he just wouldn't, he would never do it. And I think another interesting thing is that because um, uh, politics in America is so divisive that he kind of, he kind of also said that like right now politics is more polarised than the Nixon era, uh, of course, like 2010, so a decade ago, if you imagine politics in America being even more divisive than 2010. when you make he said, when you make a film about politics, there's a risk of alienating your audience and cutting it in half. And I think that's pretty true. So even though even back then, even back then when All the President's Men was made, I really feel like this is this is a film for Democrats. You know, it's a film uh, for people who have a moral authority who want to see the bad the bad guys go down. So I don't I don't think it's... I don't think it's changed too much, so it's not as uh, it's not as uh, war drum beating as as other films, perhaps. Um, oh, yeah. But
0: yeah, I think I think, a- I think that's one thing that I like about it a lot. I think that's what gives me the because, as a person of a more liberal inclination myself, and for internationalists, that would be a Democrat in the states um, and a Labour. Yeah. Just not conservative, let's just say, liberal inclination. Smaller liberal. Yeah. And, and smaller liberal. And um, that's one thing I love about all the presidents, man, is that when people start at the beginning of the film with lines drawn on sort of political allegiances, especially with the people that they're investigating, and it kind of it strips a whole bunch of that away to get to the humanity and the morality of what is actually right and what's wrong. Mm. And... And so many of these people, and even Woodward, there's a moment where Woodward's like, I'm a Republican. And it's like three quarters of the way through the movie. <laughs> yeah, and you don't Bernstein, realize. And Bernstein looks at him and's like, what the like, like, he you gives what? Him, you're, you're what? <laughs> you're what, mate? Like, in Australian parlance. Like looked- I don't
1: think it's a double take. I think it's like a triple take. He like <laughs> looks at him like three times. Like, you're hang on. What?
0: What? Yeah. And he looks at him like, and uh, that's one thing I love about this movie is that the whole time, despite the fact that there's the political spin of, oh, no, this is the other guys trying to take us down. It's like, no, what we're trying to tell you is you're doing things that are deeply illegal. (laughs) that go against the foundations of the Republic and that's bad. And we don't care that you're a Republican. We care that you're doing illegal things. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about this movie is that, is that approach. And I think, um, you know, and to Bill Goldman being a curmudgeon, um, there's a lot of revisionist history on this movie that were covered a couple of times that you know Nora Ephron who was Carl Bernstein's girlfriend had a crack at the script at one point there's a revisionist history that there was a lot of struggles with like Redford wanting certain things in the script and the script trying to be changed and Goldman you know knowing his craft like trying to make it work and then them doing rewrites and things and him eventually just going oh, I've had enough but at the end of the day with all great scripts I think what happened was, they tried to reinvent the wheel with it, and then eventually they just used Goldman Script pretty much word for word. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, so yes, it's, uh, it's uh, you can, cool. and you know you can
1: see the you can see the uh, the what's the right word here the you can see the DNA between this script and Sorkin's um, a few could men.
0: Yes, like
1: but you can it's like it's really stitched together so beautifully and you're like, oh, you can see like yeah, a few good men and then you see all the President's Men, you're like, you see this is like a direct, it's a direct line, yeah. straight through. Yeah.
0: And and the funny thing is for, you know, and, and for folks who are listening to, if this is your first episode of the show, welcome to all the President's Minutes. Um,
1: and if uh, it's your first
0: episode of the show, listen to the others. I'm sure they're really good. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just <laughs> going to say about Sorkin and the, the social network, like Social Network and President's Men, two topics two films made about something that is happening like right now like it's happening right now with not a lot of hindsight it's almost like a first person source it has plenty of time for the people who are actually involved to engage with it you know and and recently there's been movies like the big short and bombshell are probably and and even and even spotlight but that was still a little bit later after the events of like that are happening at the same time that we we learn about these things and and you know, even Aaron Sorkin, I heard a great interview with Aaron Sorkin talking about David Fincher, and and he would not have collaborated on this movie, Social Network, had it not been for Bill Goldman, um, because really? because they both were their favorite. You know, Aaron Sorkin had heard Fincher talking earlier that his favorite movie of all time. He said the perfect movie is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, <laughs> and and that's a Bill Goldman movie. So both of those guys were obsessives and friends with him and, and got a lot from him. And so, you know, when they made Uh this, when they made the social network, I think some of that DNA to a few good men, I think some of that DNA is absolutely shared in the social network. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, Dan, thank you so much um, for defaming the dead on this show. It's the first. I want to, I want to say a huge thank you for that. Um, and and I want to and I want to say I deeply appreciate some uh, some context and clarity for our international listeners who understand this. Uh, that I think and unfor- there's some unforgettable lines that have happened in a couple of the minute podcasts that I've done, and I don't think I'll ever forget. You know, this uh, in reference to our country. Um, this country was started as a penal col- colony and the cops are still running it. And so, mate, thank you so much for being a part of all the President's Minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Oh, uh, thank you, Blake. And um, if I can just get people to please get an Audible subscription and listen to Riot Act, uh, that'll be great. Leave a five stars for the Audible app and then you, can, then you can delete your account 30 days after.
0: <laughs> well, I have one and it's currently tracking at 4.7. There's 83 ratings right now as a recording, so hopefully you can push some of that up because it's it's hilarious, it's satirical, it's set in a radio show, it's just fun. Some
1: person, some person gave us a fucking one-star review because they were like, oh, I, I listen to one episode and I get it. I don't need to listen to the rest. I'm like, you listen to one episode is like opening like one the first page of the fucking book yeah. Oh, I'm so angry! With
0: it's that it's 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 the first. It's reading the first chapter of Moby Dick. What are you doing? What are you doing, it's like, guys?
1: It's like, it's like watching. It's like watching a minute of all the presidents' men.
0: <laughs> you got to watch the rest. You got to watch the rest. Oh, my favorite one-star review is uh, recently on a show I was working on. I, I I had a very bad experience with the most recent uh, Star Wars movie. Um, and, and I'll read you. Uh, and, and so my co-host Lindsay Romain and I on the take on flicks.com.au is another podcast I was working on. Um, we were doing a Mandalorian after show and we reviewed the rise of Skywalker and, uh, the review just says it's a one star. It's a cracker. It says, nope. Good Lord. The host is done with star Wars. Cause he didn't like rise of Skywalker done. Okay. Now I've lost interest in him. <laughs> Oh, what a shame. Bless you. It's like, okay, see ya. <laughs> oh, oh, God. I, lo- I love that. There needs to be a whole show just on reading negative reviews from podcasts. Um, I think that that's – just add that to your list, Dan. You've got you've got plenty of those to come up.
1: Do you ever listen to the Adam
0: Buxton podcast? No, I don't. No. He did a TV show
1: in the UK called
0: Bug, and a lot
1: of it is him reading out YouTube comments. Oh, bless. Uh, And it is sensational. If you get a chance to torrent Bug – uh, it's from a few years ago now but uh, if you watch a few of those episodes you'll have, a, you'll, have a, you'll just have a delightful time
0: one of my friends Joe Grabinski runs a great Twitter handle uh, for folks listening as well called Amazon Reviews where he just goes on and gets the most absolutely <laughs> bizarre reviews from Amazon of movies and uh, he's just it's very good content very wholesome very hilarious um, But much like, this. Much, much, like this. much like this much like this Dan you're a legend thanks so much for being a part of the show
1: thank you Blake
0: Like the Washington Post coverage of Watergate, this podcast is the result of a collaborative effort. Thank you so much to the amazing Dan Illich, the author of today's narration, uh, narrated by my good self, um, courtesy of the ABC from a 2016 hitchhike where he was canvassing for opinions throughout the 2016 election in all the unexpected places. Dan Illich is, of course, one of Australia's premier satirists. Thank you so much, Dan, for being a part of the show. I really appreciate it. Guys, seek out everything you can of Dan Illich. The best place to find him is at Dan, D-A-N-I-L-I-C, Dan Illich on Twitter, or his great podcast, A Rational Fear, or even danillich.com. Same spelling, you can find him there. Um, He has got a a storied career through Australian journalism um, as a satirist, so you can literally find him over many, many incredible projects over many years. Um, Well worth your while wherever you seek him out. Thank you so much again for listening to all the President's Minutes and anything on the One Heat Minute Productions feed. I'm your host, Blake Howard and producer of Increment Vice, as well as everything that's been happening on the One Heat Minute Productions feed. If you want to follow me, simply go to at Minute on Instagram and on Twitter or to oneheatminute.com to find out everything that's happening with the show and about the show if you guys want to support us we have a link on oneheatminute.com to our patreon if you can spare even a couple of bucks a month the cost of a coffee a month you are going to be contributing to this show the amazing Increment Vice, advice and any other amazing shows that are a part of oneheatminute productions thank you so much in advance if you can't support us you don't have the cash that's totally fine but please subscribe rate review and share the shows we would love if you are digging the show share them with like-minded film folk around the place Thank you so much once again for listening to this episode. We'll catch you on another episode of All the President's Minutes and another episode in the One Heat Minute Productions feed very soon.